0: Well, there we are. We are beginning a new series of studies. I did, though, neglect one thing that I want to mention to you. We are trying, we are in uh, the effort of trying to find specific things we can do in our community as a church family uh, uh, probably at least once a quarter. So there's one coming up, and it is the, it's, it's not this Saturday, it's next, right? Or it's just one coming So here's the deal. It's the Gloucester Cleanup Day. We are not, we do not have the opportunity, we just have not been able to get it together to organize it as a church family and sign up and have it ready for you, partly uh, due to some circumstances among our staff, but largely because they moved it up a month on us (laughs) a little unexpectedly. It's normally in October. However, you don't have to do it as a group. So I want to encourage you to get online. You can find the Gloucester Cleanup Day. If you just Google that, you'll get right to it. And uh, you can sign up, you can go pick up stuff, and there are places that they have designated, or you can uh, find a spot, do something in your community, grab a couple of your neighbors, right? And uh, let's find a way to get connected in our community and serve our community, right? That's why we're here. So uh, I want to encourage you to do that. Man, welcome back. I am glad you're here. Uh, I'm super excited about what God is doing here at Coastal in Gloucester. We are really, really happy to have you here. We're, We're doing our best to uh, try and follow some of the guidelines that have been laid down. Well, all of the guidelines have been laid down to us. We're trying to be careful of uh, staying distant from one another and all that kind of stuff. And uh, we're still fogging in between services and all those good things. So uh, I'm, I'm just, uh, but I'm grateful you're here. And as we talked about the possibilities for a fall series, Pastor Sean is always. Uh, willing to hear from the rest of the teaching team what we think the, the church body and family needs. And uh, as it all came down to it, it, we he settled and we all wholeheartedly agreed to do this study called Joy from Philippians. Here's, here's why. And you saw a pretty, pretty powerful uh, video, I think. There was a study done... Of people in a variety of countries, including the US, 2,700 people, and from them, these following things were found to be true 67% of people report higher levels of stress since the outbreak of COVID 19. 57% say they have greater anxiety since the outbreak. 54% say they're more emotionally tired. 53% say they feel sadness regularly. 50% say they feel more irritable. 42% report their overall mental health has declined since the outbreak of COVID-19. In a lot of cases, it seems we have lost our understanding or at least our sense of why we ought to have joy. So we're going to study uh, a book of the Bible that has the word joy or a derivative of it, 16 times in four chapters in this little letter to the Philippian church. I think more pointedly, the word Christ or the title Jesus Christ or whatever uh, or some derivative of that comes 36 times in this little book. Uh, This little letter sent to this church in Philippi uh, from a man who was, as he wrote it, imprisoned so there's a lot here that i think that we can learn about perspective and attitude and and uh, helping us to understand what in the world does it mean when paul says rejoice i want you to actively have joy so we're going to hit up uh four quick things here and we're going to begin in verse 3 and go down through verse 11 so we're making some tracks this morning Uh, But I want you to join with me. But before we do it, I would like to have a word of prayer. Father, I am so very grateful for everyone that has come this morning. I thank you, Lord, for uh, the privilege that's ours to assemble in your name and to worship you. I thank you for uh, the opportunity that we have to be here. And uh, I'm grateful for each one who has come. Uh, God, I pray that as we take some time now to open your word to us. We recognize this was a letter written by a man to a church uh, that existed back in the first century. But uh, Lord, as we study, we're going to uh, see again such incredible relevance to what's going on in our lives. And I pray that you would grant to us eyes to see and hearts of understanding as we open the scriptures together. For I pray in Christ's name, amen. All right. I want to begin with this. Paul is writing a letter of appreciation. That's what he's trying to do. This is his thing. It's a. It's really a thank you letter. It is occasioned by, as we'll learn a little later in the letter, it's occasioned by a gift that Uh, this this church sent by the hand of Epaphroditus to bring to Paul a financial gift. They were supporting him as a missionary, and he was writing a thank you note to them. And it turns out there was a lot more he had to say, but this is about appreciation, and I love how he begins in verse 3. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy that's a lot of every's and alls right that's a lot of of uh, interest in what's going on in the lives of these people and it's a lot of man all the time i'm thankful for you it's continual there is this this constant sense as we read paul's letter to the philippians that he's really thankful for these people. Now, we get to the end of the letter, he's going to call out a couple of people by name and say, you guys are being disunified and you need to stop. But So so it isn't that the church is without any difficulty, but he is thankful. How does that happen? How How does a person demonstrate continual thankfulness? I think it has to be determined. I think you have to do it on purpose. I think you have to consciously be looking for things to be thankful for again counting up numbers and giving statistics the the word for thanks or something on that order is used about 60 times in the new testament that's a lot of them about two-thirds of them come from the pen of paul now i realize he wrote a lot of the new testament so it's not entirely surprising but it's interesting to me that this guy, who by his own testimony had faced shipwreck, had been beaten, had been whipped, had faced all sorts of persecution, had even from, from Christians early on in his walk with Christ had been uh, kind of disbarred from the, from the group. Here's a man who is constantly voicing his thankfulness. I think we have to be determined about that. It doesn't depend on our circumstances. In fact, for the most part, and this is not like guilt trip time, but for the most part, I think one of the reasons we're not a real thankful people in our culture is we have so much in comparison with so many others. I know right now that there are some who that is not true. How do we learn to be thankful even when it's difficult, because a little later on in the book, and by the way, I hope you'll notice as we go through this book, a lot of the verses you've committed to memory, if you've been a Christian for a while, come from the book of Philippians. But Paul, a little bit later, says, I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. And he's talking specifically about money. I've had lots of money, and I've not had much. And I've learned to be content In both situations how does he do that I think a lot of it has to do with being determined watching for reasons to be thankful I think it takes some practice to learn to be a thankful people but in this particular case it's also principled there are some specific reasons why he's thankful in this instance and for these people verse 5 I'm making my request with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And then down in verse 7, it's right for me to feel this way because I hold you in my heart for you are partakers with me of grace both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. I'm grateful for your... Partnership is is how the ESV translates it. I think the King James and some of the others call it fellowship. The word fellowship is very common to us. We're usually accustomed to the word fellowship because it's connected to another word, right? A fellowship dinner or a fellowship supper, right? We're all bringing a dish to pass, and we're going to sit around tables and we're going to be sociable with each other and. Unfortunately, I think we have learned that, man, we're just going to enjoy some fellowship, and by that we mean we're going to sit around and eat and talk. Well, that's certainly part of it. There's no doubt that fellowship includes being sociable and being in each other's lives and talking with each other. But fellowship goes way deeper than that. Fellowship has to do with partnering together, your participation in something that we share in common. In this case, they had sent him some money so that he could be... Uh, supplied so that he could continue his ministry of evangelism and church planting, they were participating with him in something they shared in common, which was the gospel and Verse seven is even stronger you are you have been partakers with me that's that's just a stronger form of the same word it's kind of like we are sharing together together it's it's a we are really sharing together. In an, in an extensive way, we're sharing together. And it's a, it's a picture of being shoulder to shoulder, working diligently together to accomplish a particular goal. Paul is thankful because these guys are his partners. Partnership, fellowship in the biblical sense of the word makes even difficult times more palatable. A little bit better, a little bit easier to endure. Small groups are a good place to start looking for fellowship because it doesn't only happen with your small group. You will You will come to find that you gravitate toward your small group your fellow small group members when you show up at church you see each other and you know each other and you may do things together maybe serve together one of the things we're always telling our small group leaders is listen find something to do to serve together it's really important that we do that Uh, pastor joey uh, from our deer park campus and i just uh, a month or two back recorded uh, training for new small group leaders and in that. I get the opportunity to talk about why it's so much better than just hanging out for supper. Uh, and one of the things is service. We serve together. It's why we do ministry even here on the campus as, as a team. We have uh, people who serve on the First Impressions team and the Children's Ministry team. We call them teams because they're doing things together. It's, it's what Paul was so grateful for. It was appreciation. I didn't want to alliterate it. I could have used the word anticipation for the next one, but uh, I want to call it expectation. You can write in either word if you want to. Philippians 1.6. Boy, here's one of the verses, right? Early on in the book, uh, if you've memorized a lot of verses of Scripture, this is probably one of them. I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Man, that is such an important verse. This was Paul's expectation. This is what he anticipated would happen. He's convinced beyond any shadow of doubt that what God began, God would complete, which makes God the responsible party, right? please understand and i'm sure you do because you've heard us talk about it here we are fully committed to the importance of your serving your cooperating with god you're participating in doing your part but the commitment to getting you from point a to point b into eternity to the end the completion of your salvation that is god's commitment to you he's going to follow through he's going to get you to where you need to be however Uh, crooked and wandering the course seems to be from my vantage point God is going to get me to where I need to be he's going to take me home in the case of these people it began back in Acts chapter 16 I'm not going to take time to go there man I would love to spend a few minutes looking there but you you remember some of the events right Uh, Paul and his team are are going along serving christ and they come to this place named philippi clearly under the direction of the spirit of god they tried to go to a couple of other places and ultimately the spirit of god was like no i really want you to go to philippi so they show up at philippi and in that culture if there were not 10 men adult men you couldn't establish a synagogue. Everywhere, every city that Paul went to, he found a synagogue, and he went there, and he'd preach the gospel, and people would get saved, and they'd start a church. In the city of Philippi, there was no synagogue, which means, culturally speaking, there weren't even 10 adult men who were followers of God, followers of the Messiah Jesus, who were interested enough... In Not of the Messiah, but rather of of God as as a Jewish person. Not even ten men in the entire city. One of the major cities in that part of Asia Minor in the Roman Empire. So he went down to the riverside. And he found a group of ladies meeting together to pray. One of the reasons I am so convinced and committed to two things, the importance of women in ministry and secondly the importance of prayer, is the church at Philippi. Here is a group of ladies who said, all right, there aren't enough men around interested in spiritual things. We're going to go to the river and we're going to pray. And we're going to ask God to do something here. And Paul shows up. And among them was a lady named Lydia, right? Was that Lydia? Uh, Right? She was the one that was there. She was a seller of purple. She was a very wealthy businesswoman. That color purple came from a particular shell, and it was very rare. And to be able to get it and to dye cloth and sell it, she, the lady had some means. It's probable that the church met at her house, which means it was big enough to host a group of people. It was, it, she was a wealthy businesswoman. Another person that was there was a young girl who had been... Uh, demon possessed she had been under the control and influence of a demon and paul cast out the demon and got a bunch of people mad because they were making serious money off of her ability to tell the future and uh she was freed from her demon possession and became part of this group another was the philippian jailer right mean, nasty bunch of people. They were, they were n- not by any stretch uh, interested in the care and compassion of prisoners. There was nothing like that. They didn't have to worry about that. They didn't have to think about whether the conditions were good. They just had to keep them in the cells. They just had to keep them away from society. And the, the magical thing, the incredible thing happens as Paul and Silas are holding a worship service in prison and praying... The Spirit of God moves in and shakes the place and the doors come off the hinges and all the prisoners could leave and they don't. And so the the jailer is like, oh my word, I'm going to die. And he realizes no one has left and so his life is spared and and he comes running in and says, what do I have to do to be saved? Well, you have to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Who but God would take a wealthy businesswoman and a a mean old crusty jailer and a formerly demon-possessed slave girl and make a church out of that? Who but God could do that? And who but God would do that? And if God does that for them and can ensure that the end of their salvation will come come true just as surely as he worked at the beginning, he surely can do that for you. And he began a work, and it's described as a good work. The work that's going on in you is a good work, even if it's sometimes hard, right? There is an end result. Paul anticipates that God will complete it. It does not depend on me. I cooperate, but it doesn't depend on me. I will stumble and fall, but God will complete the work. This is the promise that is connected with our guarantee from Ephesians chapter 1, where we're told in him, that is in Jesus, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, were sealed "...with the, Holy Spirit, the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of His glory." It is guaranteed that God will finish what He started in you. That's what Philippians 1-6 really says. Paul is absolutely, completely confident and fully expects that God is going to do that. Nothing can intervene or interfere with that process. God is going to finish it. I'm beginning to get a reason, right? I'm beginning to get some understanding of why Paul could be joyful. Because he's imprisoned right now. He spent a good bit of his time uh, in, in custody. And yet he's writing saying, listen, nothing is gonna stop this. Nothing's gonna hinder this. Not even my being in prison. We'll see more about that as time uh, moves along. But that means we're a work in progress, no, I know you're aware that you're a work in progress, but I, there are a couple of things that strike me uh, that, that we ought to think about. Well, one is this. Uh, I'm tempted, and I'm not going to do it because I don't want to spend the money, but uh, I attended a series of seminars way back in high school. And uh, at the seminar, when you finish this thing, it was called the Institute for Basic Youth Conflicts or something like that. I forget even who who taught it. But when you finished, you got a little button to wear, and all that was on the button was PBP GINFWMY, just a bunch of letters, right? And it was just a conversation starter because it stood for this, please be patient, God is not finished with me yet. I think that's pretty good. I like that. It's not an excuse, right? It's no excuse to be slovenly in my uh, pursuit of righteousness, but it It refers to the reality that God is in the process of conforming us to the image of his Son, Romans chapter 8. It is super important that I be patient with the process. Yes, I am in process. We should build signs like we see on the side of the road, right? Your tax dollars at work, and so we just have to believe them, but... um, (laughs) we could wear a sign the holy spirit at work it's it's happening it's coming as i cooperate and sometimes even when i don't right the spirit of god is doing what needs to be done and so it ought to also i suspect grant me a little patience with my brothers and sisters in christ who are also in process who are also in the growth phase of their walk with christ some seem way advanced from where I stand, and I I honor that, and I look to follow their example, and we're all at a different place, right? So we learn to be patient. That was Paul's expectation. He had a connection here with this church, though, that I think is really important for us to understand as we get underway with a study of this whole letter. Verse 7 says, it's right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart, For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Jesus Christ. It's really significant. Paul has a heartfelt connection to these people. He dearly loves them. There is something in this letter that when it comes from the heart of Paul that you just can sense his, his heartbeat. It's the kind of commitment that doesn't let difficulty intervene, that doesn't let difficulty become a problem between us. I, I long to be with you. I love you deeply. I think it's really valuable when you have a relationship with somebody and you can say to them, man, I love you. That's the kind of stuff that's coming from Paul here. So even when he says things that are difficult, when he gets to the place where he says, hey, you two ladies, you're, you're out of line and you need some people to come alongside of you and help you get unified. He does it from a deep deep place of longing. In fact, the deepest part of his being. There's an interesting word here. It's translated very kindly in verse 8. I yearn for you all with the affection of Jesus Christ. If you uh, were to have the the, uh, King James Version of the Bible, it would say, I long for you all with the bowels of Jesus Christ which, of course, doesn't work in our culture. <laughs> um, but it's probably almost more literal. It is the, the uh, I, I, I love you with my whole spleen, or I love you with my whole, you know, that wouldn't work, right? I, David, take you, Jody, to heaven to hold from this day forward with my whole spleen. It would just not, you know, it doesn't sound very romantic. But it, it's just saying, man, at the deepest part of who I am, I long for you guys. It's the seed of his emotions. This connection is really important, and it's important to this whole letter. We talked about, I gave the title to this message of the joy of thankful prayer. These are the kind of things that we need to develop if we're going to be people who will thankfully pray. And then he gives some of the specifics of what he's praying about in the last few verses here. first thing he asks is that they would have a biblical love a self-abandoning love an active and purposeful love not just reciprocal not just loving someone because they've been nice to me or been loving to me but choosing to love someone because i'm going to go out of my way to do what's best for that person regardless of the response to have the the kind of love that God has demonstrated to us, more concerned with the object loved than the person doing the loving. And he says, I pray that it would abound, abound more and more, that it would overflow, that it would be excessive, abundant, like leftovers from the Thanksgiving dinner, right? I mean, so much, you could have a whole other meal, so much overflowing, abundant love with knowledge and all discernment I, I think it's interesting he adds those two words i find it interesting that he doesn't just say just y'all just ought to love each other love is the most important thing first corinthians 13, 13 now abide these three faith hope and love but the greatest of these is love it is the most important first peter 4 8 above all keep loving each other earnestly. It's the most important thing, but it isn't the only thing. There is also discernment and wisdom because love without enough care and compassion for someone to confront them if they're in sin is not really love. It's just mush. Love that does not look that the true nature the most important thing the most beneficial thing for this person is not really loving them it's just being really nice and super sappy That's not what he's asking us to do he's asking us to have a biblical love that cares deeply for another person enough that i care to be invested in them secondly he prays verse 10 that they will approve that which is excellent That they would examine what's going on particularly in light of what they're doing and how they're behaving themselves and they would test for value romans 12 2 the same author paul says by testing we learn to discern what god's will is ephesians 1 he says look carefully how you walk so that you can make the best use of your time this this Uh, This examination, this approval process is distinguishing the things that really matter from a variety of competing possibilities. We have a lot of things available to us. In a very pragmatic way, as you go outside today, as you leave, you'll see tables where you'll have five competing possibilities. You'll have to use wisdom to discern which is the one where you will fit best and be most useful to serve? Why? Why does he want us to do that? And this certainly affects our, our choices day to day. Not every choice you make in how you live is between something sinful and something righteous. right? That's That's not how it works. Sometimes it's between what is good and what's better. Sometimes it's between what's good and what's best. Sometimes it's It's two really good things, and I just got to make a decision. And that's where this learning to approve what's excellent comes in. So that, he wants that, so that you'll be pure and blameless, so that you will be unalloyed, that you will not be troubled by a consciousness of sin. And then verse 11, his prayer is that they will have a God-honoring life filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Filled up, filled to overflowing with the fruit of righteousness. Fruit grows based on the root. Right? You don't buy an apple tree and expect to maybe someday have peaches on there. You if you have a if you have a an apple tree, you will have apples. Or you didn't buy an apple tree, right? I mean, we we've We are dog people at our house, and we have a puppy that uh, when it was brought home, we were told this is part dachshund and part something else. Well, she's 50 pounds and looks more like a small Rottweiler. She's not at all what we were told she was. We love her to death. She's a great dog, but she is not what we thought. And it wasn't that she morphed into it, right? She was what she was. In your life, the fruit that comes out is because of the root that's there. So if you've trusted Christ, if you're walking with Jesus, if you're investing yourself and you're feeding yourself with godliness and righteousness, that stuff will tend to be the fruit. So we we look for the root, but the fruit is what we're after, right? Galatians 5, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control that's the fruit of the Spirit. If the Spirit of God is active in my life, those are the kind of things that will begin to be seen. If those things aren't being seen, the converse can be presumed. The Spirit of God is not really active in my life. But ultimately, it's not just so I'll advance in my career. It's not just so people will like me more. It's not just so I'll be a better person. It is so that God will be honored, right? To the glory and praise of God. That's why Paul wants this to happen. And that's partly why, as Paul sits imprisoned while he's writing to people who are not, his concern is not whether somebody's free or, or in custody. His concern is, is God being glorified? Is God being magnified in my life? That was his main desire. And if that was true, he had joy. Joy is an understanding, a a settled conviction in my heart that God is being glorified in my life. That's how I would define joy. It's distinct from happiness, which of course is dependent on circumstances. Uh, if, If you have plans to Go fishing or go to the park or go take a bike ride or whatever, and it rains and it's nasty and there's a thunderstorm that comes up, you're not happy about it, right? If it's beautiful and sunny and 75 or whatever temperature you particularly like, then you're happy about it. But in either case, I can have joy if i'm convinced that god is being glorified in my life perhaps even by my response to an adverse circumstance so joy is living with the conviction the settled conviction that god is being glorified in my life and i get that from this verse so here are a couple of thoughts to take with you and i know we're we're running low on time but uh i want to encourage you when we're finished here to make sure you get out check out the tables okay and and uh see where you might be able to participate be grateful number one we need to work at learn to develop a gratefulness a thankfulness as people secondly cooperate with god in the progress of your life he is at work he is doing a work that he is going to continue and will complete at the day of christ cooperation is going to make it a lot easier on you Thirdly, deeply love one another and pray for each other. Man, these ought to be the kinds of things that are filling our prayers for each other, that there would be biblical love and an approval of that which is excellent and a God-honoring life. Those are the kind of things I ought to be praying for my brothers and sisters in Christ. There are lots of things to pray about, but uh, those are some of the some of the parts of the essence right so we ought to deeply love learn how to love each other look for what's the going to be the most useful way to care for and minister to somebody else and pray pray for each other we need that right i'm going to stop and pray right now and the worship team's going to come back and sing us out the doors and uh, we're going to go out and mill around enjoy some fellowship check out the tables while we uh, fog the inside and uh, but anyway, I, I want you to know I love you. I care for you as your pastor, and I'm so grateful uh, to be invested in your life and uh, to be part of what God is doing here. Let's have a word of prayer. Father in heaven, I am really grateful for the privilege of uh, opening the Scriptures and being here with my brothers and sisters in Christ, I thank you for this church family, Lord. I thank you for uh, these people who are here today who have uh, committed themselves in most cases to be part of this particular family of believers. And we are excited about what you're doing here, Lord. Uh, There's so much around us that would distract us from our focus on Christ, that would... Diminish our joy and I pray that as we refocus our attention on the things that really matter that we would find our confidence our conviction growing as as you are glorified in our lives that there would be this settled sense of joy Uh, Lord we long for that and I pray that you would bless I pray for any that might be here outside of Christ that uh, has ultimately no real reason for joy if they don't trust in jesus and repent of their sin i pray that they would have the courage to come and talk to one of us and uh, let us show them from the scriptures how they can know their sins are forgiven and uh, they're bound for an eternal destiny that means their salvation will be complete uh, lord we're so excited about that i pray that you would bless as we go bless our time of uh, of interaction around these tables i pray that uh, you would just go before us as we leave this place today for i ask in jesus name amen amen well church let's stand as we close with singing this morning